It's not like there weren't a million things about him to love and delight over. It's just that not very many of them seemed to come from me. He was a nice-looking kid, small, skinny, and dark, with big brown eyes and a mop of curly hair that my mother always said was wasted on a boy. And I'm tall and fair, with green eyes and a thick thatch of sandy hair that I had always hoped I'd pass on. People would look at the half-dozen pictures of him that I had placed around my office, and I could almost see them hesitate a moment before they asked, "'Your son?' And at times it seemed as if he and I would have had more interests in common than we did if we had been matched at random. I'm a senior executive in a high-tech corporation. For most of my career I've crunched numbers, and now that I'm the boss I review numbers that other people crunch for me. Sam struggled with long division and got a look of panic when I tried to convert some daily situation into a little pre-algebra word problem. I'm tone deaf and never listen to anything on the radio but the news. Even as an infant, Sam lit up when he heard music, and by the time he was thirteen, he was teaching himself guitar and harmonica, and actually struggling to make time for piano practice. But even so, I didn't believe it was true. I might lie awake at three in the morning, absolutely certain about it, but when the morning came, I could shake it off as if it had been a nightmare. And then, when Sam was a little over thirteen, he had appendicitis. Joan called me at home and told me to rush to the hospital. We waited through the surgery, and when he was back in the room recovering, his mother went off to get something to eat. I wandered in the hall and noticed Sam's chart hanging outside the door of his room. It was nothing more than curiosity that made me pick it up and glance at it, and then my eye caught the place where his blood type was written down. It was B. I've given blood every year since I was in college, and I know that I'm an A. And I remember, when Joan and I were dating, we gave blood together once and realized we were the same type. It was the kind of thing that you think is cute when you're just starting to go out. I heard Joan walking up the hallway of the hospital, and I shut Sam's folder quickly, stuffing it back in its place without ever saying a thing to her. For the next couple of days I was nearly exploding with the need to talk, but couldn't think of who I could talk to. My parents were both dead by then, not that I'd have had the courage to say something like that to them anyway. I have no brothers or sisters. I couldn't reveal this mess of doubt and shame to my friends, men I knew from work or school with whom I shared lots of activities and interests, and very few confidences. From time to time in the years after the divorce, there had been women in my life, but nothing that worked for long or went very deep. Besides, this was not exactly a topic you'd bring up on a date. The only person I could really have talked about it with was Joan. We had been divorced for eight years by then. We were polite and friendly, we shared custody of Sam, and we bent over backward to help each other raise him, but I couldn't imagine talking to her about this. If I was wrong, she would never forgive me for suspecting it, and if I was right, I wasn't sure that I could even stand to hear her say it. So, in the end, I did what you're supposed to do when you have a problem that no one in your life can help you with. I went to an expert. Our family doctor, Jim Atkinson, is an old friend of mine from college. We had lived in the same fraternity house, and whenever I went in for my annual checkup, we spent an extra minute or two trading updates about the dwindling number of old friends that we still kept in touch with. He wasn't a close friend, which maybe made it easier for me to call and ask if I could see him. I sat in his office across from him at his messy desk and told him about my suspicions. Jim had been a good-looking guy in college, tall, fair-haired, athletic, and amiable. I have to say that, as we both started on the long decline of middle age, he was picking up more speed than I. 
His blonde hair had thinned to the point where the word balding would have been a compliment, and his tall frame was showing the familiar signs of a comfortable, sedentary life. But he was still an amiable guy with a toothy smile that started to fade as he listened to me spill out my problem. When I finished talking, he simply shook his head. He wasn't answering me. He was telling me to stop. He smiled a little in a way that was meant to be fatherly and came off as pitying. You know, uh, most parents of teenagers wonder where their children came from. It's natural. It's not that, I said. He's not a bad kid. He's a great kid, but I don't believe he's mine. But you don't have any real reasons to believe this. I told him about how I had checked Sam's folder, about our blood types. He listened, his high, unlined brow starting to furrow as he took in what I was telling him. When I finished, he looked nervously around his desk as if he could find something to say lying among his papers. Finally, he mumbled, You shouldn't be looking at other people's medical records. Oh, come on.